Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana News blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. Once again, it's an honor to have Mayor Scott Fadness with me today, Mayor of the City of Fishers. Mayor, welcome once again. Always good to have you with me. Thank you, Larry. I just dropped my phone. Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't going to say a word. You had to admit that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we've all done that. How yep. can I say that? Uh, I want to start off, first of all, telling people today is May 17th of 2021. And you and I have had some Zoom podcasts over the past year. Yep. But this is the first time we've had an in-person podcast since March of 2020. And I remember that podcast very well. That's right after the pandemic hit. And I remember asking you, could you tell me what you think we're in for? In other words, how bad is it going to get? Hoping to hear something that was hopeful, but you were quite honest. You said, you looked me in the eye and said, things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. And sadly, you were right. You were very right about that. But I want to ask, I noticed as I walked into City Hall today, the sign is still out there. People are wearing masks. You and I have taken yeah. our masks off. Right. We are fully vaccinated, and so we can be understood yep. and heard well in this podcast. So where does the city stand now in terms of dealing with the pandemic, day-to-day work? Well, I think we're in a very good place for a number of reasons. One because of the work of the health department and because of the response of our residents, our vaccination rates are very exceptional. I think we're very close for anyone, the population's over the age of 60. Uh, we're closing in on almost all of those age categories being 85% vaccinated, which is extraordinary. Even with the most, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day from the New York Times, even with the most contagious variant, um, herd immunity at 85 percent is a is a pretty pretty attainable goal. So we're seeing incredible rates of adoption of uh, vaccines here in our community, which we think is wonderful, and uh, we attribute that a lot to our community being just very health conscious. And then, frankly, the, the convenience of having a vaccination site here. I think we're closing in on 35,000 shots given already, and and more every day, six to eight hundred a day. Where we stand in terms of any kind of regulations. We do not have any mandates, no health orders are remaining on the books with our health department. We are changing over our signage even here at City Hall that will say we recommend if you are not vaccinated to wear a mask. I think you're seeing this overall shift to individual responsibility versus collective responsibility. So before it was, hey, it's your duty as a group to wear a mask to protect everyone. Now with the, frankly, the prevalence and the availability of vaccines, you're, you're shifting to, look, if, if you're not gonna go get a vaccine, we encourage you to wear a mask, but it's gonna be your own individual decision on what you do moving forward. So I'm, I'm really proud of where our community is at right now, and um, hopefully we'll continue in those younger ages. We're gonna be watching very closely. Are the 50-year-olds or the 40-year-olds or the 30-year-olds all getting the same vaccination rates? Because if we do, I think, frankly, we'll be a model for the country at 85%. I mean, that, that is truly incredible. 
You have uh, withstood a great deal of criticism for creation of the Fishers City Health Department, and uh, you've cited 35,000 um, vaccinations. I'm one of those. I'm, I've got fully vaccinated here. By the way, I didn't realize that my second shot was given to me by Elliot Holcren's mother. Yes, but, yes she's in there every day working. <laughs> and uh, I, I just didn't ask, you know, but uh, she was wonderful and <laughs> yeah. uh, taking care of that for me. But with all that you've dealt with over the last year of the creation of the Fisher City Health Department, where you were able to implement testing more quickly than most other communities were in Indiana. Uh, also, you uh, set up the, the vaccination site at the Old Marsh on 116th Street. Uh, what do you say to those critics today? Well, I think I made decisions with the limited information I had at the time through the lens of how do I provide services that I thought would be critical to our residents. And People can cast their own judgment on whether that was the right decision or not, but what is fact is that 50,000 COVID tests have been administered through the city of Fishers. And those on the market are roughly $100 per test. Any Fishers resident as early as April of last year could receive those tests for free. Uh, we're closing in on 40,000 vaccinations given to our residents again uh, we're we're going to pass a tax rate uh, for our health department that's lower than, I think, all but four or five health departments in the state. So we did not cost the taxpayer any more money and probably less money than what they were paying before for the service. And I do genuinely believe, regardless of your beliefs around COVID, the ability to go get a test to know whether you were sick or not, and then the ability to go get a vaccine once that was available, our city, our health department, shown above, I think, just about anywhere else around the state, if not the country, in our ability to deliver those services timely to our residents. And for that, you know, I'm proud of our team and I stand behind the decisions that we made. Did we make every decision perfectly? No. Were there a lot of lessons learned? For sure. Um, but where we stand here today, uh, I'm proud of the service we were able to provide the residents. Hamilton County has already announced that they are going to use uh, the federal money coming in to provide bonuses for some of their employees who provided help during the pandemic and worked extra hours and had extra stress. Some other communities have said they may do that. First of all, do you, do you have a, a hard number yet on what the federal government will be giving you? And if so, have you been working with the city council yeah. on where you want to put that money? Well, and I have always tried to exercise an abundance of caution here because when you hear these numbers, it's often too good to be true. In our situation, that's very true. Originally, they, the original estimates had us getting $19.5 million. The last guidance from Treasury that came out late last week showed us just under $7 million. So a significant change for us, Noblesville and Carmel, all three received significant reductions in the amount of money that we're actually going to receive. As for bonuses for employees and things of that nature, if you recall last year during the pandemic, we were still able to give our employees raises. We also uh, were able to provide them a stipend for those that had to be here, that were required to be here during the early days where we couldn't allow for them to have adjustments in their schedule for school being called off or anything like that. We gave them a $500 a week stipend to try to offset that. So my inclination at this point is that we would not be using that money for uh, additional compensation. But we're also going to take this slow, and we don't even have the money yet 
that money hasn't been uh, directly deposited to the city of Fishers. The guidelines and guidance came out literally, I think, early last week, finally. So we've got some discretionary time here, and, and the city's in a sound financial position, so there's no immediate rush to go out and spend that money. Well, that's a big change. I remember you telling me it was yeah. going to be over $19 million. It wasn't that long ago, and now right. you're saying it's $7 million. Right. Now you got to brace yourself for just what that exact amount's going to be. That is a big change. Yep. You spent quite a bit of time uh, at the State House during this last legislative session. I know there are a few uh, bills that passed that you were definitely behind and with others in the state. Talk about your successes uh, at the legislature this year. So there are a couple things. Uh, the one that, that I would point to primarily was uh, my work on um, violent crime. So we were able to get a bill passed called the Crime Gun Intelligence Center. It's House Bill 1558. It provided state funding, uh, $5 million a year, thanks to Frankly, Speaker Houston and then uh, Representative Greg Sturwalt carried the bill. And it was about erasing boundaries and putting the best of the best in law enforcement together, along with advancements in science and technology to really track uh, the um, guns that are used in crime and, and identify individuals and hold them accountable. And so that money will come available in July of this upcoming year or this year. And Chief Gephardt, who's really been a warrior trying to get this accomplished, he, along with uh, Assistant Chief Chris Bailey from IMPD, are kind of the tip of the spear for implementation now. But what's really exciting for us is to see the partnership growing between IMPD and the city of Fishers and really tearing down the barriers and boundaries that were there before. So just the other day, last week, some of my staff were complaining uh, about our parking lot because it was filled, I mean, chock full of IMPD police officers. Well, the reason they were all here is that they were doing a joint training on violent crime because we are going to pair their violent crime interventionists, if you will, with our crime reduction unit. And those teams are going to work as seamless teams. So a lot of this is behind the scenes and kind of um, not out there in the public. But there is some really fascinating work going on and will be going on over the next couple of years. And that, that was legislation that I worked on, uh, really got me going. A couple of years ago, Chief Gephardt and I started talking about it. Then when George Floyd happened, there's just a variety of things that got me really focused in on how we could do this differently. And uh, I'm excited to see how that pans out. So I would be watching over the next 12 to 24 months. You're going to see, a, I believe you're going to see a number of meaningful arrests of violent criminals uh, from the Crime Gun Intelligence Center. Interesting. And that, that uh, 96th Street, uh, you know, that's the only border we have between ourselves yeah. and Indianapolis. So yeah. obviously that's... Uh, and criminals, believe it or not, they don't really respect the fact that that's I a border. I about yeah. to ask that, yeah. so you answered that question. Uh, the city council had a work session last week. You spent a lot of time on the physical condition of City Hall, where we yeah. sit right now. I've lived here for 30 years and rumors were rampant about the old yeah. town hall sinking <laughs> not long after it was built. I never knew whether those rumors were correct. Turns out, based on Elliot Hulkren's presentation before the current city council, that a lot of those rumors had some basis to them. Uh, based on your comments at the work session, I know building a new city hall was not something that you no. set out to do as mayor. <laughs> Uh, so it wasn't something you wanted to do, but it may be something you have no choice but uh, dealing with and just the prohibitive cost of keeping this building going the way it is. So the council appeared to give you the green light and your staff and any consultants you want to hire to look at the options that are available. So 
Uh, and also there's a possibility, I know Todd Zimmerman is a councilman working on community center that perhaps there could be one more one more location than more than one, yep. more than one location. And you could have an arts center that might be a part of a new city hall. So just tell me, as far as your staff and uh, any consultants you may want to bring in, just, just to where, where do you plan to go now in this whole process? Well, the retreat was a good time, a good opportunity to have really in-depth conversations about some of these things. You're right in that I never aspired to build a new office building for City Hall. That was not something I was interested in. But there does come a point where you're putting money into a building that really isn't a sound return on investment. And I think we've reached that point on a variety of levels here at City Hall. It's not a space issue. I think that's important for people to know. We're not, quote, unquote, out of space in City Hall. It's just literally the building is um, falling apart, for lack of a better term, and was never really built. It's not It's not steel construction. It's a wood frame building. I mean, it's built like you would a, a large house, if you will. And that's hard. It's a lot of wear and tear on a commercial building. So I think this summer is going to be a very busy summer for all of us trying to clearly identify what is the best path moving forward financially. How do we do this without um, burdening our residents and taxpayers? How do we how do we accomplish that? And uh, I'm working on a financial strategy right now. We'll start to work on the procurement and design process in the near future. But yeah, I think I think there's a good chance that this building will go away uh, in the foreseeable future, and we will build something different here. Again, I don't think you're going to see any kind of Taj Mahal because, frankly, we just our footprint has not grown that significantly. We're, we're never we've never been an organization heavy on headcount, and I don't think that we'll ever get to that point. So I, I think you can fit it back on this footprint reasonably well. Uh, it just probably needs to be a building that's built probably for the long term. And I've had these conversations with Walt Kelly. You know, Walt admits that back when they built this, they didn't really know what the permanent home for City Hall should be long-term for Fishers because it was growing so quickly. So I think they built a building that certainly met the needs for the last 30 years, but probably wasn't the building for the next 70 years. Well, when I first moved here in 1991, the town hall was that art gallery yeah, across right. the street on 116th right. Street. People don't believe me when I say that, but that is true. And I just remember how excited the town employees yeah. were just moving into this building at that right, time. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, so what I'm hearing you say is the process has started, process has started. And it's got to be a challenge because you are looking into this uh, community center or centers, yeah. plus you've got a new city hall. Yeah. You might have some combination there, but still, is that going to be a challenge financially for the city to do that without, as, and this is what you were telling the council, yeah. not burdening the taxpayers? Yeah, you know, I think I think one of the skill sets, not to sound, I don't want this to sound arrogant, but one of the skill sets that I have having grown up here and understood municipal finances. This is where I feel like I can add a degree of value is I can usually sit down with a variety of financial information and an understanding of where we want to go and kind of plot a course that makes sense, that doesn't adversely impact our residents. You know, we have upgraded facilities and, and um, of infrastructure in the city of Fishers at, at a pretty amazing rate over the last 10 years. And we've done that with a pretty limited uh, impact on the taxpayer. And it's all about just understanding where your debt coverage is. It's understanding where your revenues are coming from. It's being creative and leveraging the assets that you have. So, 
you know, last night I spent a couple hours at home just trying to piece all these things together. And I think we can get there. Uh, I'm, I'm, I would not have, frankly, I would have not have gone down the road, Larry, of the community center conversation if I didn't think there was a path financially to accomplish it. Okay. So I think we can get there. I, uh, I had to do this via Zoom because I was out of town, but I recently interviewed the incoming Hamilton Southeastern School Superintendent Yvonne Stokes, and I mentioned your name, and her eyes lit up. <laughs> she really seemed to smile and said, yeah. yes, I've met with Scott Fadness, had a good meeting with him. She complimented you, said you were a great mayor. And uh, just describe from your point of view the first meeting with Yvonne Stokes. Yeah, you know, I had not met her or known her previous to the announcement of her being appointed as the new school board superintendent or school superintendent. I apologize. Um, we had lunch the next day and had a wonderful conversation. You know, from my perspective as the mayor of the city of Fishers, and I know there was controversy abound over her appointment, but from where I sit, it's incumbent upon me. Her, her fate and the community's fate and my fate are intertwined. And so I want to see her be as successful as humanly possible. And I'm going to do all that I can to help in any way that I can see her be successful in that role. I, I think she brings a different perspective. Um, I, I'm looking forward to getting to know her more. And, and again, as I mentioned and emphasized to her at our lunch, we have had a unique and special relationship between the school and the city for a long, long time. And it's my job and her job, frankly, to ensure that that continues even through difficult times. And, and, uh, and I think I'm confident that we're going to be able to do that. And I look forward, frankly, to just getting her here in our community and getting her out into the community so that people can meet her face to face and ask her tough questions and and hear her vision for what academics can look like and and uh, and get to work on making our schools the best they possibly can be. Well, and of course, the schools will be filled with uh, fadness boys over the coming yeah, years. Yeah, there's the ultimate vested interest, right? My, <laughs> I, I've got a lot of boys that got to get through that public school system. You recently conducted a series of seminars. The city sponsored those interrupting racism. Mm -hmm. And uh, now you've... Uh, I want to ask you two questions about that. One, how you assess how that went, and then talk about the new contractor you've hired to take the next step. So, yeah, we did. Uh, we had hired uh, – really, it was out of an internal uh, program we went through where our staff went through diversity training, much like you know any employer today goes through. And we were so impressed by the work that was being done that we decided to open that up to the public if they wanted to go through that. We had a number of residents go through it. For the most part, people had positive experiences. There were some that uh, didn't appreciate the, the conversation, but for the vast majority, I think it was positive. Uh, the work that we're doing moving forward is, again, there's more internal work to be done. We'd like to see more diverse candidate pools. So how do we get better at human resources? How do we recruit talent from uh, a variety of places? And you know, the way I look at that, you can look at it two ways. Morally, it's the right thing to do, but secondly, as the job market heats up even further, when we're trying to attract top talent, if we've created artificial impediments for people of different cultures, backgrounds, or creed to want to be a part of this organization, it's in our best interest to figure out how to disassemble those and, and get the best talent in here that we can. So there's there's some work being done on that. And frankly, I'm, I'm encouraged. Our police and fire uh, departments have seen an increase in the diversity of their candidate pool. And, and they're excited about that. So 
more work to be done on that front, but there is still quite a bit of internal work that, and, and we, that's why we brought on our consultants to help us accomplish that. Having worked with the federal government in many roles, I can tell you, it does take work to do yeah. that. So you're, you're doing that work right now. Changing subjects again. Now, you've just broken ground on the Geist Waterfront Park. Uh, this has been in the works for actually years now. <clears throat> it's taking time to get everything uh, lined up. Just talk about where it is and where it's going. Well, it's an exciting time. Breaking ground means we're actually there's activity out there. The design is done. Construction is underway. It will be two years before we're done. It'll be fall of next year. Uh, it may not seem like it should take that long to push some dirt around and and uh, build a restroom building and a parking lot, but the quantity of earth that needs to be moved is significant. And then to build that beach, what people probably don't realize is that little pond right in front where the beach will be is exceptionally deep. And so for us to build it so it's safe enough for families to go swim, we have to dump hundreds of thousands of cubic yard yards of dirt into that pond to fill it up to a point where you have a gentle slope uh, to the swimming area. So it's more complex than people probably would think as you drive by. Uh, but over the next couple of years, it should really take shape. And uh, I can't wait for it to be done. Well, yeah, it's been discussed for a long time, ever since uh, you went through the process of acquiring yep, that property. Exactly. So uh, something to, to keep it up. But a lot of talk about that restaurant. Anything you know about what kind of restaurants going in there? No, I, I think you're, you're referring to across the street. Uh, yes, nearby. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no, I, I think they have a long-term vision of that. They came in for a rezone, but in all honesty, I think they're t talking two, three, four years before they would go forward with that. So nothing concrete at the moment. Well, there's lots of road construction news. The good news is you're not in charge of the highway uh, construction in downtown Indianapolis. Yeah, the north split. Oh, <laughs> the my gosh. Split, yeah. that's, uh, I, you know, luckily, I do not commute to and from downtown <laughs> right. Indianapolis anymore. But uh, you do have plenty of road construction going on here. You're reconstructing uh, 131st Street at State Road 37. That's going on now. You're preparing for the closure of 116th Street for 60 days uh, to yeah. install a tunnel there. Just just uh, talk about road construction as you look at the summer season. It's interesting. We don't have the volume of projects this year. There aren't as many road projects. There are a couple meaningful ones, obviously, um, State Road 37, we were really blessed last year, silver lining of COVID. We were able to knock out 126 and 37 with limited to no traffic congestion for the most part. Uh, this year with 146th Street and 131st Street um, currently under construction, there's obviously more uh, disruption there. 131st Street will be done this year. 146th Street will not. It'll take into the next construction season. And then, um, yes, the, the, the big one that I think has everyone a little bit worried about is the closure of 116th Street for 60 days. We're, uh, we're building a tunnel under 116th Street for the Nickel Plate Trail. There is no good way to build a tunnel under a road without stopping traffic at some point. So we've done all that we can around it from a utility perspective so that we can limit the number of days. But shortly after school gets out, you will see that closure. And uh, we'll do all that we can to get it open as soon as fast as soon as possible. You uh, discussed with the city council at that uh, work session last week this whole issue of private roads and commercial yes. areas. This has been discussed for as long as I've been covering government here, going back yeah. to the town. In fact, I was sitting at the work section next to Mike Colby, who was the town council member who pushed this, as you will call the during your days as town manager. So this has been talked about for a long time but the reason it hasn't been solved is because it's a thorny and complicated legal question right. and 
the big question is who has the legal responsibility to keep these roads in shape. You know, I'm, uh, one of the roads that's really in bad shape is outside the place where I get my car worked on. Sometimes I wonder if I have to just get an alignment right after I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. out there because it's it's tough to navigate, and everybody knows that. So uh, you got a little guidance from the city council on where to go from here. What can you tell us about the next steps? Yeah, I think, I mean, I got some guidance. I got enough to be dangerous. Uh, I think we're going to bring a policy back to the city council. I think there's a strong belief on the private side that, the private entities uh, that enjoy those roads should pay for the improvements that needed to be done. So I think you're going to see that happen. And that's a matter of Chris Greisel, the city attorney, and myself and others just, okay, we're going to go do this. Obviously, we need to work with the, the business owners, make sure that everyone understands what we're doing, find favorable, favorable business terms, all that type of thing. I think the bigger debate you heard the other night was in the residential areas. So... A, what would we view as a qualified residential street to come into our inventory? So take, for instance, an apartment building that has <clears throat> interior roads wouldn't necessarily be a road that we consider taking in. But there are others that are go through the neighborhood that are public in nature that we would consider. That being said, the question was, do you want to charge the homeowners the full freight of upgrading that road or not? If you are going to go that route, just know that there aren't probably very many neighborhoods that are going to want to go do that. And so you're, you could be in a this situation where you, you're almost at a stalemate. They're not willing to pay the full freight. The road continues to deteriorate. And we're just, we're just looking at each other, basically. So one option that we proposed the other night was, hey, what if there's some modified amount that said, you have to pay some amount to come into our inventory, but not the full amount to try to accelerate this conversation. I think, as you heard Councilmember Dreamer and some others say, no, 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 no. They, they need to pay the full amount. I'm not going to subsidize that road. Perfectly legitimate statement from a policy discussion. We need to provide them a draft document and really a plan, and then Council's just going to have to make that decision. Do you want to put 100% of that cost on the individual homeowners that live in that neighborhood? Or are you okay subsidizing it at some level so that it gets done quicker? Well, one subsidy idea was to basically give the HOAs an interest-free loan so there wouldn't be a huge hit on the homeowners in one year. Yeah. Uh, and that's one, op that's one option you're looking yeah, at. Right. So. so there's a variety of things that we can do, and we just need to do something because these roads are – are in bad shape, as you mentioned, and uh, and as for a resident, they shouldn't have to worry about: is it a private? Is it public? Just is the road fixed, and does it is it safe? And can I drive my car on there without getting a flat tire? And uh, the other part of this is that it's been pretty widely publicized that there have been some HOAs and Fishers who have kicked that can down the road. All of a sudden, they've got a huge assessment, yes. and the homeowners get very upset. So, yes. and that's um, usually when they come talk to us about us taking the road over. <laughs> Uh, Not surprised to hear yeah, that. Right, right. Um, this summer's coming up. Uh, we're in May, and so summer's right right here, very close. And this is hopefully going to be much different than in 2020. The Spark Fishers Festival will be back this year if all goes well. It will add, add more days to the celebration. Uh, and uh, the blast on the bridge, which, which had always been a, a Fourth yeah. of July event at Geist, has been moved to uh, September 11th. So talk about what will happen this year that didn't happen last year that was normal and what's been added and changed for the coming summer. So I think, 
in general, people should just assume that this year will be like every year prior to COVID. Lots of activities, lots of opportunities to get out with your family. Farmer's market, Tuesday summer concerts, movies in the park, the whole nine yards. We, we intend for our community to come back to life. Um, spark fishers will change a little bit, but not because of COVID, just because we're continuing to evolve that event. We're still debating as to what the appropriate thing to do on 9-11 is. I think there was some pushback by the community, and maybe rightfully so, about doing a fireworks show on 9-11. Whether that's the right tone for celebrating the 20th, or I shouldn't say celebrating, but recognizing the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So I, I could see that being changed or modified in some way. And, and I think that was good feedback from the residents that said, well, I understand what you're trying to do, but I'm not sure that's the right tone. So our parks department is working through that right now, and I think you could see some modifications. I think the idea originally was to honor those uh, who suffered during 9/11, but I, I can understand yeah, the other side of that. Absolutely, point. It, it, it was Why in that vein, it was in that vein. But does do, do fireworks really portray that? And so I, I think you know Elliot Halkren, uh being a uh, a war veteran himself and being involved in this, he, he's inserted himself having these conversations along with Sarah Sanquist, our parks director, and they're really trying to find the right tone for everything moving forward. Fries went out of business. It's not, they not, did. It's not the fault of Fishers. It's, it was a nationwide thing. It was a California company and just uh, basically were – and I love that place because I love electronics. They yeah. have a great uh, selection, and everybody who's been in it the last year or two knew – that their selection was down and things yeah. were not the same. And the online Amazon-type uh, outfits have, have made, made it very difficult for them. But you've got a, a nice big building there just north of 96th yeah. Street. Is uh, there any interest in that, or what can you There's tell us? There's a lot of interest in the building, and that's got me concerned uh, about finding the right use that sets the tone. I mean, that's the gateway to Fishers. So what kind of use makes sense in that building is important to us. And so I think... We'll be continuing to have conversations with city council as to whether or not there's some zoning changes that we need to make to ensure that we don't have something go in there that would be detrimental to the community. So that is a hot topic and something that's definitely on my radar and will soon be on the council's radar as well. Interesting. So just from the general economic development, what's going on there, should we expect anything in the next few months? You should. Uh, we've had an... Megan Baumgartner and her team have done a great job. We've had a great first quarter of this year. Uh, and and I don't mean that in the, you know, when we talk about economic development, I kind of put them in two, bu two buckets. One is the mixed use apartments, uh, urban development bucket. And then there's the more traditional jobs, investment, businesses coming here. The first quarter of this year has actually been a really strong year for jobs and investments coming to the city of Fishers. We have a variety of uh, economic development announcements lined up uh, here in the next 60 days, I would say, and they're really focused on jobs and investments. So that's really pretty exciting for us because post-COVID, you know, as we were entering into this year, Megan and I had talked a lot about, you know, what should we expect? Is this going to be a good economy? Is this going to be bad? Is everyone going to work from home? You know, what's going to happen to our office developments, things of that nature. And so we've got some wins coming up that I think will certainly build momentum in Fishers uh, going forward. You know, I was at the farmer's market the Saturday before we record this. It was a beautiful, sunny day. And there was a huge crowd. Yeah. Huge crowd. It was almost hard to, to navigate. There were so many people there. And I've been to Fisher's District. It's very busy. Yeah. Very, very busy. Uh, 
Are we finally economically coming out of COVID? Oh, yes, I think so. I think in fishers in particular, I can't speak globally or nationally, but fishers, uh, if you talk to the restaurateurs, if you talk to people at the farmer's market, I mean, I think we're we're functioning as we were prior to COVID um, in many, many ways. The hotel industry might be lagging slightly with business travel, things of that nature. But on the weekends, with all the tournaments and different things going on with youth sports, they're they're doing well. So I'm I'm excited. I was uh, at the yard on Saturday night uh, having dinner with some people, and it was packed. So now you're starting to hear more about how am I going to find employees, you know, to come back and work. And I saw the governor today took back the unemployment benefits, the federal unemployment benefits. So I think there is this general belief and desire that things get going again, and. Uh, we here in Fishers, I think, are well on our way. Well, 30 minutes goes fast. We've covered a lot. Is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap this up? I just uh, really hope as we close out this school year that uh, residents go out and enjoy their summer and, and find some normalcy and and really get back and fall back in love with the community that they were so engaged in prior to COVID and hopefully will be again. Mayor Scott Fadness, Mayor of Fishers, uh, thank you once again. Great thank to you. have you. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. Music